Hey, Jake. Jeff Salzman. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yes. You're uh, surviving the cold out here. Uh, where are you? Uh, New York City. Oh, boy. Yeah. So you just got hit, I, didn't you? Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, I think, last weekend we broke some records, maybe, or yeah. set some new records in 20 years or something. I, I suppose it's much worse out in Boulder, huh? Well, we've had a beautiful week, but we are about to be bared down on by a big storm that they predict will bring us 18 inches of snow. Oh, good Lord. And I have a flight to Hawaii tomorrow at noon. <laughs> so, oh, no. Do you think you'll make it out? I think so. I think the bulk of it's going to come later in the day, tomorrow and weekend. Uh, but, you know, who knows? That's why they call integral flex flow. We have to flex and flow. <laughs> very true. Very true. I, <laughs> I do suppose you, you picked a good time to go to Hawaii. Though. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for agreeing to talk with me and help us gain some insight into your life and what you can teach us about this identity of two Jakes. I love how you described it in the mm -hmm. voicemail you left me. I'm thankful to be talking to you. I mean, I um, ever since I sort of discovered your podcast, I've been voraciously listening to it. And uh, you know, I didn't I didn't mention this in in um, in the message I left to you, but I'm actually at Columbia University right now um, pursuing my undergraduate degree. Oh. And uh, you know, I listen to uh, Ivy League professors uh, all day long, some of whom are brilliant. But the smartest thing I hear every week is, I think, your podcast. So <laughs> it's, it's certainly a, fre a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Oh, man, that feels good to hear. I appreciate that. You're uh, at Columbia. You're um, in New York City. You're, um, you know, you're right in the, the bullseye of Western culture. I, I, I am. I am. Um, I've been here since about 2012. Mm -hmm. um, I left the Navy in 2011. Right. Been here ever since and had a wonderful time and you know, really enjoying Colombia and, you know, uh, adjusting to, to uh, you know, to civilian life, I guess. Yeah. So to bring people up to date on what we're talking about when we talk about your, your message about the two Jakes, uh, and, and correct me if I get this wrong, but so one is a Navy SEAL sniper who uh, was in the Navy SEALs from, what, age 18 to 26? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Four tours of duty in Iraq. Three tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. And then the other Jake is a, a young seeker who discovers Ken Wilber at age 17. <laughs> and that is very influenced by that. So I, I guess actually, Jake, I'd like to start by exploring your integral identity. Just find out what kind of kid were you and how did this happen? <laughs> sure, sure. So, age 17, you find a Ken Wilber book. Uh, how did that happen? How did you know that this was something that you were going to be interested in? It's funny, a, a cousin of mine introduced me to it. Um, he is, uh, I guess you'd call him a, a, a pretty hardcore hippie who lives in Vermont. Um, absolutely wonderful guy, though. And I, I, I just suppose that, that growing up, you know, and, and reading what little I did about philosophy and psychology and things like that and what I learned in high school. And, you know, mind you, I wasn't a terribly motivated student because at that point I knew I was going into the military. So I wasn't, you know, as rigorous with my studies as I should have been. But um, everything I learned always just seemed very incomplete. It, it always seemed to have some truth to it. 
but there was always a but after I learned anything. It was sort of, you know, I learned, mm-hmm. you know, something about psychology or philosophy, and I'd always, you know, that I, you know, the teacher would say something in in my head. I'd always say, yeah, but what about this? You know, you're you're completely missing this aspect of it, or yeah. you know, something along those lines. So when I first read Ken, I think I. I think I first read um, A Theory of Everything, and it was the only it was the only book uh, I'd ever read that had uh, that really tied everything together, yeah. um, and really was just such a comprehensive view of reality um, that it really really resonated with me. And I think I think back then I was I was more I was more aware of the four quadrants of reality than I was the actual um, lines and levels of development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, as I, you know, I'm, I'm from New Hampshire originally. And as I left, you know, sort of suburban New Hampshire, um, to join the military and, and shortly thereafter became a SEAL, I really, really started to see these altitudes of development that were so clearly defined. Um, and the SEAL teams is the perfect example where it is, you know, very, very traditional, you know, um, conservative folks who are very much interiorist. Um, and, uh, you know, they sort of have this mindset that, you know, you eat what you kill and, and you get somewhere because you worked hard and you were smart enough and, and, uh, you had the ability to be successful. Yeah. And of course that's, um, you know, amplified very much so during SEAL training, which is of course a really rigorous training, um, yeah. The training program that they put you through, it has a, a very high attrition rate. And, you know, it is all about just being self-reliant, being able to uh, get up every day and go to work, even when it sucks and it's brutal and you're cold and you're wet and you're tired and you're hungry and you're beat down. And, you know, um, it is it is the ultimate test of sort of, I guess, your interior chops, you could, if you wanted to call it that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and let me ask and, you, Jake, to take you back a little bit. You you, sure. you said a minute ago, you knew you were going into the military. So there's this warrior identity, too. And you're, you're, of course, you're drawn to this. And um, is that just who you were? Is this from day one? Or was there some sort of initiation into that? How, how did that arise for you? Yeah, I really, I really do think that was who I am, who I am from day one and who I've always been and and who I still am, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, I definitely have, have that sort of side of me that's very, very strong. And, um, and, you know, I, my father was in the military as well. Uh, He was in the Air Force and, you know, his grandfather and my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, I'm sorry, my dad's father. Um, So it, it certainly was in my, was in my family, but not to the point where, you know, I wasn't calling my dad sir by any means. You know, it was, you know, it wasn't sort of like you see in the movies or whatever, you know, you think of a really militaristic father, but, um, you know, I just knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a SEAL. I had that sort of warrior identity Hmm. and probably romanticized it quite a bit, you know, when I was younger and read all the books and, and, uh, you know, consumed all that sort of media and all that content. Um, really? And then such as what, what, what were you reading? Um, you know, what, what were you sort of absorbing as a child or young man? I, I would say, you know, for a long time, I wanted to be a fighter pilot like my dad. Um, but then I, I remember I was watching a Discovery Channel show on, on Navy SEALs. And, 
I remember they were talking about how difficult the training was and, and how rigorous the lifestyle was and divorce rates were high and guys were constantly on the road training. And, and, uh, I remember thinking, geez, that looks really difficult. I don't think I'd ever like to do that. And then just a week later, I remember distinctly a, a switch just slipped. And, and I was like, those guys, you know, <laughs> to, 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 you know, to be frank, they're badasses. Yeah. You know, they're bad dudes. Um, and I just, I, I want to go and I want to do that. I want to prove to myself that I can do that. And I want to have those sort of experiences that they have. It's um, so interesting because and- I saw those commercials too. But for me, <laughs> you know, the, the switch never flipped. It was like, I knew that's not me, you know, God bless those guys, but that ain't me, you know? So it's so interesting to just see who, you know, sort of the identity that we come in here with, you know, and what receptors we have and what makes sense to us and what, you know, turns us on and thrills us and what deadens us. And we, you know, sort of have to follow that. You know, and, you know, and a lot of your shows, you, you talk a lot about, your, your identity and, and, you know, just identity in general. And it's something that I really started thinking about um, long before even the, the um, show on American Sniper. You know, I just started thinking, like, how, why is it that I have such a strong pull to really uh, identify with that warrior self and, yeah. and sort of have those experiences? Uh, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who's, you know, my country right or wrong and, you know, um, they're evil and we're good. And I, that's not me, you know, I mean, I I do love this country, but you know, in in a broader sense, you know, I just, um, I was in it really for the experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember even, even as a kid, you know, it wasn't so much that I wanted to serve my country. Um, it was just that I wanted to have those experiences, Yeah. particularly, um, you know, going through SEAL training and how rigorous that training program is. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and of course, everybody else sort of has that mindset too, right? I mean, at least the ones mm-hmm. that make it. Yeah, no, you, you are right. You are right. I mean, there are, there are a lot of folks who are, you know, also in it for the, you know, the, the, you know, the service to the country and, yeah. you know, we were attacked in nine eleven and big reasons for, for guys to, to join, um, but for me in particular, it was, it was almost exclusively just the experience of going and doing that that really drove me. So you mentioned American Sniper, uh, the movie, and of course, that's the, I did a podcast on that, and you responded to that, and that's how we got together. Um, so what do you think? How was that movie? I mean, from, you saw it from the inside. You were a four-tour Navy SEAL sniper, just like Chris Kyle. I mean... Hats off, man. I mean, I want to pause for a moment and just let that sink in. And with that said, how did the movie present that and how does your experience compare? You know, I, uh, well, first off, thank you. You know, it's, it's humbling to, to, you know, have you say that, um, but as it regard, as it relates to, to the movie, I, I do have a, obviously a biased view because you know the um they during the film they show two seals in particular one gets killed his name is mark lee and another one uh is blinded he, he is shot i think through the eye or something and he's blinded and then he dies a few years later on an operating table mm-hmm. and um i went through 
various points of SEAL training with both of those guys. So I knew them. Um, I knew them. So, it, you know, obviously I, there is some emotion attached to, to watching a movie like that. Um, wow. And, you know, uh, there is also that, that Hollywood element where it's sort of Chris Kyle versus this, um, this Al-Qaeda sniper, and it sort of carries the storyline through multiple deployments, and it sort of culminates with Chris obviously, you know, taking out this sniper. Sorry for the spoiler alert, but, um, yeah. you know, th- that obviously is all sort of Hollywood, you know, and it's fabricated. But my experiences were similar in that we did do a lot of the same types of work. Um, but, and I'm sorry, I, I do have a little bit of trouble unpacking this because I don't get to talk about it very often. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really, it, it was what I expected. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I sort of knew Clint Eastwood was going to make um, sort of this very patriotic movie that really, um, that really wanted to memorialize Chris Kyle as a hero and sort of almost this like superhuman status. Um, and so it was very much what I expected. Um, I don't know if that answers your question well or not, but well, uh, then, no, that's, that sounds fair enough and pretty much what I would expect. Actually, what interests me is what you, when you talk about, you did the same work. It's an interesting way of putting it and that's how you saw it. And so what was that work? And I don't know what you're willing or not willing to talk about. And this is all sort of dicey terrain for me, but you're a sniper. You're, you're there as a warrior. What can you tell us about that? You know, it's, it's funny. I remember when I was going through training, I would hear my instructors talk about you know, going to the work and doing their job. And I always sort of thought to myself, what do they mean by that? What does that even mean? What is doing your job when you're a SEAL? And, you know, the best way I guess I can put it is that you do your best when you're in situations like that, when you're, you know, in extreme danger in some cases, or, you know, you're forced to take a human life. You really do your best to sort of play these psychological tricks on yourself where you take something that, for all intents and purposes, it's a very, very intense and sometimes life-changing experience and sort of reduce it to something that is casual, something that you're, you can deal with multiple times a day or multiple days out of a, a week or a month mm-hmm. and, and sort of minimize, you, you do your best to sort of put some distance in between you and the experience and sort of minimize it and, mm-hmm. and make it digestible. And Would you say that that's you know, true... I get that that's true for you. Would would that be true for everybody in that same situation, more or less? I think people have different ways of doing it, but I do think that, you know, there certainly is an attempt. And, and, and I, I do want to draw a little bit of a distinction between, you know, the hundreds of thousands of Army infantrymen or, or, or Marine infantrymen that are sort of given a, a certain level of training and kind of thrown into these situations often feeling very ill-equipped and not necessarily ready for what they're going to encounter. You know, a lot of the people that that we worked with overseas, they were very young, um, you know, a couple Mm -hmm. months of training, and next thing they know, they're patrolling through the streets in Iraq, and they, most of them probably didn't want to be there. Um, And so those, those experiences can vary quite, can be very different from the experiences of somebody who, 
has grown up wanting to, to be a SEAL or to be a Ranger or to be right. a Delta Force and has sort of, um, they've gone through years of training. I mean, I, I went through probably two and a half years of training before I even touched the battlefield. Yeah. And, you know, you go sort of through that, that mental, that mental training as well as that physical training where you, you know, you're really indoctrinated into this warrior culture and, you know, as, as bone chilling as it might be to hear, you know, going overseas and doing your job and, and, and killing somebody becomes really a point of pride in that culture. Yeah. You know, and I think to an extent it has to be to allow you to sort of deal with it on a psychological level. Um, so you know, and also when you're, when you're in these, these special forces units, you're going overseas and you're the best equipped soldier on the battlefield. Yeah. You're next to the best warriors on the planet. Yep. You know, the United States will, will move mountains to see that you come home safely. You know, you've got so much training under your belt that you're very, very prepared for what you're going to see. And you go into it with a different mentality because of that. Yeah. Um, now sort of back to your question, does everybody handle it sort of the way I, I described and, a lot of guys who are in special forces that are very motiv- motivated to be there. They're motivated to do their job. Um, but they do, I think, in a lot of ways, try to put some distance between themselves and the reality of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you have to. You know, yeah. you just have to create that space for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, at, you know, what stage of development you have to do that. I'm not sure you always have to do that. I mean, there might be something that's just deeply personally sort of satisfying. I don't know. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and this is something I learned from the movie, and this is sort of in the same territory, this sort of moral territory, is I was impressed with how much they showed the discrimination that a sniper has to have with the target. And, you know, the children and the women and the, you know, the, the, is it like that? I mean, what's the sort of standards? I have to tell you that the most difficult part of the job was, was discriminating between who you were going to pull the trigger on and who you weren't. Um, Because it was not always, you know, oh, there's a bad guy pointing a gun at a good guy let me take out the bad guy. It was very rarely like that, especially as the war progressed. Uh, the bad guys, they knew that if they walked onto a rooftop with a rocket propelled grenade and pointed it at, at, at a, you know, an innocent Iraqi or a coalition vehicle or something, you know, if there was a sniper in the area, they were going to get, they were going to get shot and they were going to get shot immediately. Hmm. Um, and so a lot of the way they would coordinate these ambushes were with spotters holding cell phones communicating with each other via text message, standing on a rooftop with, with nothing in their arms, watching a convoy drive by their location, and then they'd, they'd send a text message to somebody that was, you know, four blocks down waiting, you know, in, in, a, uh, in a concealed place with, with a weapon or, mm-hmm. or a, a detonator for an IED. So it really, really was difficult to distinguish between, you know, who was just an innocent Iraqi and, and who wasn't. And... You know, of course, we had studied very thoroughly all their, you know, techniques and, and the tactics they would use. And, and, you know, we've, of course, had the, the, the faces of the, you know, the more high value targets and, and not that 
that is particularly helpful when you're, you know, looking through a scope at somebody mm-hmm. who's 600 meters away. But, um, you know, it, it really, it was challenging and, and you had to make a judgment call every time you pulled the trigger, you know, unless it was an obvious black and white situation, um, which, you know, even in the movie, I mean, Chris Kyle, you know, when he shoots that kid with a grenade, I think in the beginning, which is sort of the, the lead into the movie and, all, and mm-hmm. all the previews and things. I mean, that's a pretty black and white situation. Yeah. You know, it's a difficult thing to do. Absolutely. But it's a black and white situation. Yeah. Most of them were not like that. Um, wow. And it was challenging and you didn't, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to believe in what you were doing and, and, and that you were making the right decisions. But if you made enough decisions, eventually you're bound to get one wrong. Right. You know? Um, and I, I personally have been in situations where, you know, where I, I made the right decision at the time. Um, and I would do it 10 times out of 10 the same way every time because it was the right decision to, to make. Mm-hmm. But it just turns out that, um, you know, the folks that I had engaged were, they were not actually in fact bad guys and they didn't have mm-hmm. uniforms on and they, they, uh, they were sort of in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't have the information that we needed to, to, uh, or I didn't to discriminate against them, right. you know, in a way that, you know, and so it's, it's a judgment call every time. And, and it's on each individual to sort of deal with it. If he, if he makes the wrong, uh, makes the wrong decision, it really is. It's difficult. I think again, that's the hardest part of the job. And, yeah. and, uh, the, certainly the part that I enjoy the least. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting t- to me to think of the history of warfare and 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 how we have, you know, in in a world where w- there's no war-free option right now. That's probably true for a while. But for sure now there's going to be war. And that we are prosecuting it with such intelligence is really new. I mean, if you, if you think of how war was prosecuted in, you know, even in Vietnam or Second World War, uh, and, you know, God forbid the earlier history of humanity, we make these kinds of discriminations and distinctions. Is It's always dicey to talk about the humanity of war, uh, relative humanity of war, but it does continue to get attended by less and less collateral damage, wouldn't you say, or am I dreaming? No. In, in fact, when I'm explaining to somebody the sort of altitudes of development and, and I want to give them an example of, of the development of humanity, I, I, the first thing I point to is warfare. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, 60, 70 years ago, we used to carpet bomb cities. Yeah. I mean, we, we dropped atomic bombs. Yeah. And now, we have bombs that are so accurate we can drop them through a window because we refuse to accept the deaths of innocent civilians. And I know from personal training that, you know, it is absolutely not, you know, going into a village or going on, on a night raid, you know, and we enter these target, target buildings where we know there are, you know, there are real, real bad guys there. Unless somebody is a direct threat, immediate direct threat, we absolutely will not engage them. Wow. And we, I mean, you know, it's actually, I've, I'm always really, really impressed and really humbled by seeing, you know, guys in the middle of a firefight, one of the most, one of the most intense, dynamic, um, really horrific environments that a human being can find themselves in, 
in sort of the modern day, you know, how these guys can have the wherewithal to discriminate between somebody who's not holding a gun and somebody who is holding a gun. And mind you, this is at two o'clock in the morning through night vision goggles, which aren't exactly clear. You know, there's, you know, explosions and gunfire and, you know, flashes of light that can be blinding at times. And, and you can hear people screaming and, and you, you know, you, you sort of, you have your wits about you to, you know, shine your laser on a window that you just saw, you know, a muzzle flash come out of shine your laser on it mm-hmm. and see, you know, a little boy standing there, not holding a gun and know that you're not going to shoot him. But if the other guy returns that did shoot out of that window, you can engage him in it. I mean, if you think about that, the, the, in my opinion, the, the, the level of development you have to have to be able to, to get to that point is really, really impressive. And no. it's, I don't think it's ever before been seen in all of humanity. I mean, yeah. You know, as I said earlier, where you were carpet bombing cities, you yeah. know, 70 years ago. ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, no, and that's so, right. like you said, when I'm pointing to human development, the first thing I go to is warfare. Yeah. And you're not just talking about the, you know, enlightened. This is the, the policy of the U.S. military. This is what they teach and what is, you know, the best practice of how to do things. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and and even for folks that that join the military that that may be at you know maybe amber stage or or, or even lower, yeah. so there certainly are those individuals in, in the American military and every military. You know, they're so instilled with these values that that many of them act accordingly. Yeah. You know, and it sort of pulls them into that higher stage. Now, certainly that's not always true, but but you know, for the majority, it, it really is. And, yeah. Um, no, it's fascinating, Jake. I'm interested in this sense of connectedness, brotherhood. Um, it's for real, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us about um, it. You know, I think that some of my absolute closest friends, I mean, people that I wouldn't even call friends, they're just brothers, um, mm-hmm. are still in the military or I met them through, you know, my time in the SEAL teams and you know, I always kind of talk about how it doesn't matter if I meet a SEAL for five minutes or five days or, you know, I know him for five years. I mean, within that first within that first meeting of 30 minutes or five minutes, just knowing that he's had that shared experience mm-hmm. um, and that we come from the same community and we're sort of, you know, there is that cultural assimilation so that we're sort of, you know, the same mold. You know, it, it forms an instant brotherhood that, like, is, is, you know, you just can't replicate that outside of the military. Yeah. Sharing those experiences and, and especially in, in something like the SEAL teams where you train together for two or three years before you'll ever go into combat together, you know, and you, you sleep in the same room and you eat the same food and, you know, you, you really, you really develop a, a bond that just, uh, it's unlike anything else. And, and in fact, it's kind of funny when I transitioned out of the military, I went from, you know, the Navy and four months later, I'm at Columbia university, which <laughs> wow. you can imagine the, the culture the swing shock. in altitude. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I found that was, it was interesting. And I've heard this from some other uh, seals that have transitioned as well is that oftentimes 
you initially become friends with more girls than you are with guys when you first transition. Really? And uh, I always believed that the reason was because when you were in the SEAL teams, you were used to such a bond with guys that you would meet. Mm-hmm. Um, a brotherhood that was almost instantaneous. Yeah. That when you meet, you know, guys in the, in the, in the civilian world and you become friends with them, you know, wonderful people and everything, but you sort of have that, I think subconsciously you're a little bit let down in the relationship because you're so used to this different dynamic. Mm-hmm. You're so used to somebody being your brother and you're almost let down by, by what you find in the civilian world with other guys. But then your relationships with girls has always been the same. Yeah. You know, you never had that sort of that deep connection with other women. So, you know, you're sort of used to what you get when you, when you, you know, befriend women right. of the military. And it's just, you know, just a small anecdote, but, no, that uh, that, that says guys. a lot, actually. So, gosh, I don't know. Well, let me just go back to that, the, the brotherhood and, you know, this, you know, intense communication. And this is a, a, a love. And so now we have, you know, we the culture's moved. So there's uh, a consciousness of, of, of homosexuality and, you know, there's gays in the military. Is that... Online, does that happen? Does this? How's that changing? How's that showing up? Uh, what What can you tell us there? As far as the, you know, the community that I came from, and and the the community, the other special operations communities that I worked with, um, but I suppose I can only really speak to, to my experiences. But um, you know, directly in the SEAL teams, it it's not online in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, there's some, there was some pushback, uh, a lot of pushback, in fact, from, from the SEAL community. And you can imagine, you know, not that there was any, um, and I shouldn't say this, you know, this is just your average SEAL, I would say. Yeah. You know, a lot of individuals know about it. Um, but I think the, the, um, the culture that sort of permeated the, the platoon huts and everything, you know, guys, come from religious backgrounds, um, fairly conservative. They have their beliefs about marriage and things like that. And, and, you know, everything outside of that just wasn't, wasn't for them. Um, did they talk politics uh, at all? Did did, did they talk about Obama? Did they talk about Romney? Did, uh, you know, uh, was that any online? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, these are reasonably intelligent guys. I mean, they're all, you know, there's a lot of that, um, a lot of that talk and every single one of them to a T is, is a Republican. And God <laughs> help you if you say you're a Democrat. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I, I still maintain I'm a, I'm a staunch independent, um, but you know, I did get into my arguments uh, with, uh, <laughs> with good friends of mine and about politics and everything. And, and, uh, you know, but for the most part, I, I sort of let sleeping dogs lie. You know, <laughs> really? Um, There's enough going on without adding that. It, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it was part of the, part of the culture. And, yeah, and, right and on. one of the things that I mentioned earlier was, uh, you know, the, the extent to which um, most of the SEALs that I know are just um, interiorists all the way. Now, what do you mean by that, interiorists? Um, so Ken, you know, Ken and a few of his um, 
books and videos and things. I think he, he, he talks about interiorists versus exteriorists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he unpacks that to be sort of, if you ask somebody, and, and don't quote me on this, but if you ask somebody why they're, they are successful or why they are not successful, right? they will, you know, an interiorist will say, it's because I worked hard and I'm smart and I took chances and I took risks and I created opportunities for myself and I did all these things. And then, of course, an exteriorist, exteriorist will say, you know, I was not given the opportunities. The entitlement programs weren't there. Right. Um, I didn't get the helping hand that I that everybody else got. I was um, discriminated against. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And of course, you know, you see these these two uh, storylines play out in, you know, the Republicans versus the Democrats, yeah. the entitlement programs and, and all that. Yeah. Um, and I just. You know, that really resonated, resonated with me when, when I first heard Ken talk about it, yeah. because of how strongly everybody in the SEAL community identified with the <laughs> interiorist. But uh, then we have you, Jake, as an integralist, so you're good with that. And then here you are in Columbia University, for God's sakes, which is, you know, the liberal bastion of the cosmos. So <laughs> how are you doing there with the exteriorists? <laughs> Uh, you know, I really had, um, a really smooth and easy transition. Um, and it was, it was actually almost a breath, breath of fresh air in a lot of ways, just to yeah. be able to exercise, you know, the, the altitudes that I hadn't, uh, hadn't been able to live quite as fully, uh, you know, um, and, you know, it's really, it's really been phenomenal. It's such a great school. There's such a strong support network for veterans, especially, um, but everybody I met, um, you know, that, that I've talked to about my experiences has just been, you know, uh, they certainly challenge me where, where they feel it's, it's right, but it's just been incredible. I mean, everybody is so supportive and, you know, uh, what's unfortunate is Fox news likes to paint Columbia as sort of this, you know, a fringe left wing group that hates on the military and doesn't want ROTC there. And, you know, we'll throw paint on you if you're a veteran It's mm-hmm. not the case at all. Really? Yeah. Um, I think there's, I think there's around four or 500 undergraduate veterans at Columbia. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe one at Harvard, if that, you know. Um, oh, interesting. Oh, so, so yeah. Columbia really is staking out a different sort of uh, territory here. I mean, it, it would it, just, uh, on the sort of face of it, it would be pretty integral. I mean, it's including both and all. They, they certainly are. They, they really have pushed a lot for diversity in the classroom because I'm sitting next to you know, the 18 year old who grew up on the Upper East Side and whose dad worked in finance. Um, <laughs> and so they really have a big push for uh, diversity and they've created a, uh, a whole nother student body, a whole nother actual school called General Studies. In fact, I think Eisenhower created it. Um, and it back in the 40s or 50s to give returning veterans a chance at a really top tier education. And so they do take sort of that integral approach of, of mixing all these different backgrounds and non-traditional students with traditional students and you know it really has been a fantastic transition and i've just absolutely loved my time there really so you're out of the seals as of how long ago 2000 august 2011 so it's been a little while now okay so you know what three years something like that and so you're what 28 29 30 yeah i'll be 30 30 in april so okay getting up there yeah yeah well uh, try 60 Oh. <laughs> I'm twice as old as you, Jake. Uh, 
So yeah, so you're so you're back out of the seals for a few years here. You're in New York City at Columbia. How's it going for you? You know, what relationship do you have with the military, the SEALs now? How are you adjusting to civilian life? Uh, do you feel that sort of call to the warrior still? What's your plans? What's what's next for Jake? Sure. So, you know, as for how things have been since I've, I've sort of gotten to Columbia, and like I said, my transition was fantastic. Um, the the period of sort of finding what you want to do next is can be challenging, and you know it has been a process of you know sort of trying one thing and deciding I don't like it as much and going on to try the next thing before I really um, found you know what what I think my next calling is and what what my next passion is. But to answer your question about whether or not I still feel that that sort of warrior pull, I absolutely do, hmm. and I. I don't know if I'm unique in that aspect um, or not, but I every day I think about it. And in fact, you know, I, I read an article online um, maybe yesterday or two days ago, um, and it talked about how ISIS had just attacked a base that had about a hundred U.S. Special Forces advisors on it. And you know, um, let me just say that hell hath no fury like a hundred U.S. Special Forces guys, you know, that, that would want nothing more than to just unleash hell on, the, on ISIS. And hmm. ISIS really took a beating. Um, they took a lot of casualties, and there were no coalition forces hurt um, in, the, in the battle. But when I was reading through this article, I immediately just had this wave of sort of, you know, longing and jealousy wash over hmm. me, and I couldn't be there to participate in it. Wow. Um, and, you know, I really... I. It's it's almost baffling to me that that I still have such a strong pull, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I can also tell you that, that uh, my girlfriend doesn't like it. You know, mm -hmm. um, she's she wants me safe and sound in New York, but it really is powerful, and I think a lot of guys experience it. Yeah. Um, is there any way you know, of working I, with that? That you know, short of going back for another tour, I mean, you know, you you know these other seals who are in the civilian world is there you know any sort of new territory that you're staking out or you know pioneering with other veterans you know, I, I, I don't know you know you know i i know in, like in the movie for example they show how chris kyle was working with returning veterans around ptsd and things mm -hmm. like that and i found that it's it's actually best for me to sort of distance myself um, mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I absolutely am still very close to friends and brothers that I have in the SEAL community. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I'm part of a charity, a nonprofit that helps provide resources and network mm -hmm. uh, and a network for transitioning SEALs, um, just founded by a close friend of mine and, and some other things. So I, I do very much have strong ties to the SEAL community, but to the, to the military community as a whole, I find that I, 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 uh, I definitely have wanted to put some space in mm -hmm. between myself and that. And I, and I certainly don't want to be one of those guys who, you know, sort of wears it on his sleeve. And, and the first time I meet somebody, they immediately peg me for, for military. Right. Um, I've prided myself on, on sort of people being surprised when I tell them. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. If I may say, that's kind of the integral, it's, it's, it, it has the integral fragrance, Jake, that, you know, I mean, you get it, you're there, it's part of you. You even can see and feel this, as you said, jealousy and this pull to this battle. And this is Warrior Jake. And yet you don't have to be limited by that identity, that that's a part of Jake that arises in real time under various circumstances. And, you know, there's a certain hallelujah to that. That's very juicy, but it's not the only thing you are. I very much agree. You know, it's funny when I was, you know, when I had first gone into the SEAL teams, I remember uh, times when I would be out, we would be out sort of in the mountains doing our, our land warfare training, you know, as a, as a, as a whole unit and, you know, talking and strategizing and going through iterations of, you know, for patrolling through a mountainside and we start getting shot at, what do we do? And, and, you know, it's a very sort of violent, fast paced, dynamic exercise that you put yourself through day in and day out to really Hmm. sort of become cohesive as a group. And it was just funny because I would be out, you know, carrying around my belt fed machine gun and shooting and my sniper rifle and whatever else. And, and I would, when it was, when our platoon was done and it was the other group's turn to go and we would go sit in the trucks, I would pull out Ken Wilber's SES <laughs> and be reading through this, you know, and I just, I remember thinking, you know, man, this is odd. I think I'm the only SEAL out here who's reading this kind of stuff. You know, oh one minute I'm, God. I'm focused solely on, you know, what I'm going to do when I'm in a combat situation. And the next minute I'm, you know, it's uh, turtles all the way up, <laughs> all the way down. I think it's... <laughs> Oh my God, uh, that's a trip off to tell Ken. I'll, I'll, you, get, I'll get you in touch with Ken. I'm sure he'd love to talk with you about it. Oh, that that would just be wonderful. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm oh. happy to help that happen. You're such an interesting character in this, in you know, in the integral community, the integral world. We don't run into many of you, like none. <laughs> I did I did always feel like I was a bit of an oddball. <laughs> well, most integralists do. That's sort of a marker of an integral consciousness is, you know, but anyway, it's just so much fun to talk to you about all of this. Let me just um uh ask you, you know, just bring us up to current events. So you mentioned ISIS and you know, we're all saturated with the news of the latest geopolitical moves. And, of course, the political moves here in the U.S. And wh- where are you at with all that? What do you think we ought to be doing? You know, uh, what would you say? You know, Jeff, to be frank, I hate to disappoint you, but I get most of my news from you. Um, <laughs> as far as ISIS goes, you know, I, I'm with you that I think Obama's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think that if, if we wanted to to really bring the U.S. military in there, we could sweep away ISIS. Like, I mean, you know, what did we defeat Saddam's army in a couple of days or a week or something like that? I mean, it would be just an absolute joke. But he can't do that because he needs, you know, like you said time and time again, he needs the local governments and the the local groups to really come together as a one cohesive, you know, movement to really push out ISIS and replace it with something. And that's the key is it has to be replaced with something. Um, and then the Iraqi uh, areas, it obviously has to be replaced by that Iraqi government or else it's just going to fall back into the hands of, you know, power hungry warlords. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, 
what like a, I said, I hate to disappoint, but <laughs> well, I mean, just what a lesson in integral and in developmental, uh, you know, interiors, exteriors, lines of development. Um, you know, thank goodness for Ken and these integral maps that really just help us, you know, raise the resolution on the picture so that we could see more of what's going on. I, you know, I tell you, it was the first time after, remember when I first read Ken, it was just all of a sudden the, the picture was whole yeah. and we could have intelligent conversations and analyze something in a comprehensive way and come up with a, with a, with a solution that, that we could feel confident would be effective. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and takes everything into account. Absolutely. Or at least yes. takes and, more and, things and, into account. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, and it's also been really fascinating to sort of moving from the SEAL teams, which is, you know, um, amber orange into the, you know, community at Columbia, which is orange and green and just seeing these altitudes, yeah. you know, they, just they're written on people's faces almost. I Isn't mean, you, can, something? you know, have a two minute conversation with somebody and I can pinpoint 10 other beliefs that they hold that they haven't even <laughs> mentioned, you know, yeah. uh, it's really, really, I mean, that, that has reinforced everything that, you know, I've read from Ken so much. It's just going through those experiences and, and, you know, sort of, uh, you know, as an integralist trying to, you know, kind of be that chameleon that, and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. agree with them verbally. And then in the back of your mind say, kind of, well, but you know, you're missing this and this, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I always love the, the Claire Graves who did the, some of the original research behind spiral dynamics. He talked about integralists being the universal donors. They're the people who could sort of relate to everybody uh, and and love everybody. You know, even if you have to kill them, uh, you don't hate them. It's really something. And Yeah, that, that's actually something I, I experienced um, when I was overseas, and I would be in these situations where, you know, I'd even be in, in, in firefights with individuals, and I would come face to face with them after, you know, the, the firefight had sort of resolved itself. And, and of course, as an American and as, you know, the SEAL teams, we were always sort of had the upper hand at the end. And, you know, um, but I never felt that raw sort of hatred that you would think you would feel when yeah. somebody's quite literally trying to kill you. I mean, I just never, I never was able to sort of embrace that or wrap my mind around that. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if I'm unique in that and others did, but definitely an interesting, interesting experience to sort of also kind of watch it from that integral perspective and see what I was going through and sort of be that observer for it. And, yeah. and also for those that were going through it with me. Yeah. Well, that's probably the key marker for integral consciousness is just that witness, you know, the ability to observe yourself, other people, you know, sort of in a space of liberated awareness and love, you know, and intelligence. So hallelujah, man. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> well, Jake, thank you so much for, for, uh, you know, talking with me and, and us. Jeff, it's, it's absolutely been my pleasure. And I, like I said, I, I listen to your podcast as frequently as I, as I possibly can <laughs> many times, you know, I'll, Listen to the same one four times over just to make sure I didn't miss it. Oh, please. Well, my cup runneth over. 
And again, it's just been a, a pure delight. Uh, I'm just feeling all kinds of uh, positive karmic vibrations as I talk to you. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time.